the third sermon in our series. If you have been with us the last few weeks, you've kind of gotten used to this series by now. Um, But if you haven't been, if you're a guest or maybe you just haven't been here for a few weeks, uh, we started a series called Don't Worry. And we've looked at and are looking at the the promises and practices. That's kind of become the, the unintentional phrase or the foundational phrase that kind of just kind of organically um, was birthed in this series that, that we're looking at. Promises and practices. Promises of God and practices of faith that help us to, while maybe not eliminate the reality of worry or anxiety from our lives, begin to, to face it through faith and, and with a, a courage that comes through the Holy Spirit. And so as we're looking at this, I, I stress again that, that we understand, and, and there's a lot of ways, a lot of words that we could use interchangeably, worry, fear, anxiety, stress. Uh, all of these are, are holistic. And when I say that, what I mean is there's a lot of God-given ways for us to deal with these realities in our lives, to deal with these moments when we, you know, have a hard time catching our breath. These moments when we feel the walls are closing in, however we would kind of describe it. But but those those feelings and those conditions in our lives can be um, physiological. They can be physical. Uh, They can be emotional. Uh, They can be situational. So the idea is not to say that if you do this one thing, that's all you have to do. In fact, there are a lot of things that God gives us. Sometimes it's counseling. And that's a healthy and, and an encouraged practice. There are times in our lives we all need a counselor. And, and it may be um, go to a doctor. There may be medical needs that need to be treated. It may be physical practices of, of exercise or, or diet changes. I, my, my point is there's a lot of things that we do. And, and, and I'd encourage you to do. But they're not the things that, that I speak into because they're not areas that I have any expertise in. But, but there is a universal truth. For us, and I think that it's always spiritual. It may sometimes be medical, it may sometimes be physical, it may sometimes be emotional. I believe it's always spiritual. And so there are spiritual practices. There are practices of our faith that, that we can build into the, the rhythm and, the, and the, the ritual of our lives that I be, believe are, are a gift from God that allow us to face the moments of worry and, and anxiety and stress that inevitably. Um, comes our way. And so, if you've been here, you know that each week we're anchored on the same verse. Our anchor verse is Philippians 4, 4 through 6. Each week we read from it. Each week we've gone back to it. We'll do it again next week. If you come to all four weeks of this series, you're going to have this verse just kind of imprinted. And and I hope it is. That's part of the the hope, is this becomes um, a a verse that, that resonates, that stays with you. That, that comes to mind in, in these moments. And, and in this verse, I, I've talked about the fact that context matters. And, and again, it is so important to recognize Paul's situation when he writes these words. Because the very first thing he says is rejoice in the Lord always. That's the first thing he says in this section of Scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then, because he wants us to get it, he repeats it. Again, I say rejoice. You know, parents, you ever say that? You've got to tell your kids twice what you want them to hear. Make sure it gets through. I think that's what Paul's doing. Hey, rejoice in the Lord always. In case you didn't hear it, again, I'm going to say it. Rejoice. And, and the context in which he writes it is significant because if Paul was writing this 
um, when, when life was, was good, when things were smooth, when everything had gone his way, it wouldn't make it any less true, but, but it may not resonate as much. But when we remember that, that Paul was, was in prison, Paul was chained up. Paul's dream had been to go to Rome. He'd wanted to go to Rome to proclaim the gospel. Why Rome? Well, Rome was the center of the world at that time. I mean, it was the center of commerce. It was was where the most powerful people in the world lived. And and Paul knew that if if the gospel could take root there, that the way that God would allow the gospel to to grow and spread would be beyond um, calculation, which would be true. We would see that. But but he wanted to be that instrument. And so he wanted to go to, to Rome to preach. But while he got to Rome, because he writes this from Rome, he's not a free man preaching in the synagogues or in the square, but he's under house arrest, chained up next to a guard all the time, chained and, and, and restricted in his movements and where he can go. And every eight hours, a new guard would come and would change out and he'd stay tethered to that. And so it has not gone the way that he wanted. He doesn't know what tomorrow will bring. He doesn't know what his life expectancy is at this point or how this journey will play out. And so my point is, if anybody had a right, an understandable excuse to be worried, stressed, and anxious, it's Paul. And, and that's important because when we read, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, that needs to kind of connect. We need to kind of wrestle with that. Now, he goes on to say in this verse, Philippians 4, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, by thanksgiving, present your requests. Let God know. Remember we talked about this week. Let God know. Whatever your language is, whatever your, your prayer language, the way you communicate, the natural um, nature of who you are, let God know what your need is. Let God know what your concerns are. That's come honestly and transparently to God. And then he says, then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, that we would open our hearts in a way and and to see in a way that allows us, even in the most difficult of moments, to rejoice and to hear the truth and the power of that release that you give us. Lord, speak to us in these moments and and in the moments that will follow and open our hearts to your word and your truth. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That that is, that's powerful. That's, that's, that's poetic. That's that's a, a, a phrase for a T-shirt, right? That's a, that's a phrase for a coffee mug, you know? That, that's, that's a verse that, that we want to kind of hold on to because it sounds great, but it's so hard. It's so hard. I mean, it just sounds, it almost sounds too pleasant, too optimistic, right? I mean, you ever have those people in your life that are always pleasant and happy, when you're grumpy and feeling like, and they're coming up with their smiling, happy pleasantness, and you want to just grab them by the neck, 
You know, that, that's, that's kind of the thing, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. And it's like, really, Paul? I mean, rejoice. Rejoice when, um, you know, my, my car blows a tire and I'm changing the tire on the side of the road on the interstate on I-75 and it's pitch black and I can't see to get the donut on the nuts because I have no light. I, I, this might sound like it happened. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and you're just fighting, trying to just get this wheel on and rejoice then. That's, is that a good time to rejoice, Paul? I'm just wondering. Or, or more serious, rejoice when your marriage is, is on the rocks or you've been betrayed by a friend or a life partner. Rejoice when the doctor gives you the diagnosis that was your worst nightmare. Rejoice then, Paul. Uh, how about when I'm wondering how I'm going to pay the next bill or put food on the table or make the rent or mortgage, then, Paul, rejoice, rejoice then? Or, you know, friends have turned their back. I mean, we could, we could do this all day. You, you have your experiences. Rejoice, rejoice then. How? How? Because there are times that I don't, I don't feel like rejoicing. There are times that, that I, I, don't, I don't feel like praising and, and worshiping. And, and yet, Paul says rejoice. And, and again, Paul does it from prison. So Paul's not, he's not coming at you, Pollyannish. He's not, he's not coming at us and, and sharing something with us that, that he hasn't lived into. How, how? How? How when the only thing I can see is the challenge, the mountain in front of me? How, how do I do that? And I think Paul might say to us, because the problem is, that's all we can see. Problem is, that's all we're looking at. And the, the title of the sermon is, is Take the Wide View. Well, what does that mean? Remember last week I said that, that very often we have to turn because we need to, to not, not to deny the difficulty, the challenge, the obstacle, the, the source of stress, not to bury our heads in the sand, but, but when we become fixated on that, we don't see the presence of Jesus. Prayer, we don't become open to, to God's presence with us. The Lord is near, going back to, to the first week. And, and I think that's, that's true again in this instance, is that we, we need to see beyond the, the narrow view of, of what's in front of us. When I was growing up, um, I started saying when I was growing up as a kid, as opposed to growing up as an adult, um, <laughs> which might be true too, um, but as a kid in, in Jacksonville, Dad served a church I've talked before on the north side of Jacksonville. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with the north side of Jacksonville, but uh, if you live there, that when the wind blew from the north to the south, when it came north to south, there were two dominant um, fragrances you might catch. One was the, the paper mill. Yeah, exactly. Those of you that you, you've lived near paper mills, right. That was usually the, the, the smell that we'd get if I was up in, in, at school. The elementary school I went to was further north. And so when the wind blew the right way, you'd smell the paper mill. The second thing, which was more common, was the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. There was an Anheuser-Busch Brewery there in Jacksonville that we would drive by and we'd see all the time and you would catch the smell of, of the brewery. Now, when I say Anheuser-Busch, what do you think? 
Never mind. Don't answer that question. Um, I'll tell you what I think of. And some of you actually said it. It's the Clydesdales, right? I always thought of the Clydesdales. They would bring them out. In my mind, it was once a year. It might have been more. But I can remember as a kid, we'd go, and it was the first time I'd ever been around these just massive. And you know if you've been around Clydesdales, beautiful, beautiful horses. But it was also the first time that I had ever seen a horse with blinders on. I didn't understand that as a kid. Why do they put these things on their eyes so it limits their view? And, of course, the question is the answer, right? Why do they put it? Because it limits their view. That's, that's why. Because horses have a 180-degree field of vision. Their, their, their eyes are on the side. So they're, they're, it's a protective measure because it helps them be aware of predators. And so when they're pulling... The, uh, the, the, the wagon, they don't want them to get spooked. They don't want them to see what's on the periphery. They want them to be focused on what's ahead, so they put the blinders on. Now, what is helpful, what is beneficial for horses can be, I think, sometimes very spiritually detrimental to us because I think we do the same thing. We, we put on blinders, not maybe intentionally, but in practice. And there are times we need to be laser-focused on a challenge or an obstacle. But too often what happens is that's all we see. And we just see the, the weight or the, the, the worry of what it is that, that we are facing. And we lose the wider picture. Why, why was Paul able to say from jail? In a time when he, he wasn't sure what tomorrow was going to bring. How was it that he's able to say, rejoice in the Lord, always rejoice? Well, it's because Paul had a wide view. He saw not only the immediate reality that he was facing, but he saw the way that God was working around and through those circumstances based on what he'd known from his life and his walk with Jesus, but also what he knew in those moments. And if you want to understand how he writes this, how he can proclaim this, how he can encourage this in us, you go back in Philippians, just a couple chapters. Because if you go back to what he starts with in Philippians chapter 1, we get an understanding of, of how he could do this. Because, see, what would happen for most of us is in a narrow view, in a limited view, in a view with blinders on, in a situation like Paul's, our, our writing would be, this is awful. This is terrible. I've been faithful. I've been obedient. And here I am in jail. I wanted to go to Rome to proclaim the gospel, and I'm locked up. I'm done. I don't know where God is, but I'm done. Not going to church anymore. Finished. Right? That, that's what, what, a, what a, a kind of a gut reaction would be. That might have at times been your reaction and mine in circumstances where life has kind of caved in a little bit. That's, that's, that's the narrow view. And I'm not being critical of that if you've been there. I've been there before. It's not me being critical. It's not me heaping guilt and criticism. But just recognition. That's what happens. Because so all we see is that. Well, this is what Paul sees. And if you go back to Philippians um, chapter 1, and you look at it uh, beginning at verse... Actually, let me get to chapter 1. Beginning at verse 12, this is what Paul writes. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. 
And remember, what's his goal? Why does he want to go to Rome? He wants to go to Rome to preach Jesus. Right. He says, what's happened to me? This isn't the way. He's not saying this is the way I wanted it to go. He's not even saying this is the way I'd like it to go. But what he's saying is, I recognize that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my change, chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You know he's saying? God has purpose here. God has worked not to cause the situation. God, we're not chess pieces on a board and God's just moving us around, but doesn't deny God's working in the situation. He understood exactly what he writes about in Romans when he says, all things work to good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. He sees God's working. He doesn't just see his immediate reality. I'm chained up and in prison. He sees all the things that God's doing in that situation. And all of a sudden, people are hearing the gospel. You know what? He's being brought before magistrates and, and, and leaders and people in authority. And you know what he does every time he gets brought in front of somebody? He tells them about Jesus. And you know what? Eight hours a day, 24 hours a day, I should say, but in eight-hour shifts, there's some guard, some person of influence, some person of authority, some person of of trust that is getting chained up next to Paul. That's a congregation. That's eight hours of preaching they're getting. Who's in chains now? Who's the prisoner? That's somebody who's going to hear the gospel every time, whether they want to or not. He's recognizing God's God's working because he's seen a bigger picture. He's seen a reality, and he also knows what God has done. He also knows not what is, but also what has been. And I think this teaching, this scripture in Philippians, has a powerful connection to a previous experience of Paul. And you can go back and read it, and I'd encourage you to go back and read it on your time. But if you go back to Acts chapter 16, we know that this is not the first time Paul's been in prison. We, we know of a few other times, and there may have been more. But in Acts chapter 16, we have one of those times. As he and Silas are on their missionary journeys, and, and I'll just kind of be brief with the story. You may know it, but if not, you can go back and read it. But they're going to a, a place of prayer. It says they're on their way to prayer. They're on their way to small group. And they start getting badgered by a young girl who is possessed by a spirit that gives her this ability to, um, to, to you know, kind of see and, and, and um, kind of a fortune teller kind of a situation. And she's making money for somebody. But they, she kind of gets on Paul and Silas. And, and finally, Paul um, casts the demon out, heals her which sounds like a good thing until you realize that it costs somebody money. And you mess with somebody's pocketbook, um, bad things often happen. And that's what happens to Paul and Silas. They get, and of course they've already stirred up the crowd and they were never the most popular with the, the wider populations, specifically the religious people of the day. And it's, scriptures tell us that they are beaten, first by the crowd, then by the authorities. And in fact, in verse 22, it says that they are stripped and beaten. They are stripped and beaten. And I thought about that phrase, stripped and beaten. I, I pray none of us have ever known what it physically feels like to be stripped and beaten. 
but we've experienced it emotionally. We've experienced it spiritually. I mean, to be, to be stripped of our confidence because somebody has beaten us down. To be stripped of the confidence. To be stripped of our faith. To wonder where God is and, and, and how do I hold on to faith in the midst of whatever it is, the circumstance. Uh, to be stripped of our trust because of our experiences and, and the, the, the pain that we've suffered. We, we know what it's like to have something stripped of us because of the, of the beatings that we take in emotional, spiritual, and, and, and um, physical ways sometimes. So it may not be the same context, but, but we can at least at some level begin to relate. They've been stripped and beaten. They're chained. They're bruised. They're in prison. They don't know what their future is going to be. They don't know what's going to happen in the next day, let alone the next minute. And in verse, right about verse 23, they do something extraordinary. It says in Acts chapter 16, it says, While it was about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and worshiping God. They were worshiping God. That is a, a powerful experience. And it says on a side note, it says, and the, the, pris- the prisoners were listening to them. But I mean, I want you to think about that. At some point, they either wake up or they have a conversation. And they say to each other, gosh, this, this is bad. This, is, this has been a terrible experience. I'm sure their, their, their description was more colorful and vivid than mine. But, but this is not good. And we don't know what the future holds. And we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But, but one of them said to the other, hey, I got an idea. You know what we need to do? We need to have church. We need to have church. And so they begin to worship. One of my favorite early contemporary Christian songs as, as a young man um, was Stephen, and is Stephen Curtis Chapman's song, What Kind of Joy. I don't know if you know it, but, and I didn't plan to use it, so I've got to kind of pull the verses off, but you know, what kind of joy is this that, that counts it a blessing to suffer? What kind of joy is this that gives a prisoner his song? What kind of, of joy? It's, it's the joy of a heart that's been forgiven and freed. A heart that's been made for it. It's the joy of somebody that can see a bigger picture than what is right in front of them. And so they begin to worship. Now, if you know how the story goes, you know that suddenly there's an earthquake. This is kind of the, suddenly there's an earthquake and the chains fall off. And they are liberated from their bondage, if you will. But I want you to take note, that happens while they're worshiping, not before they were worshiping. That happens in the midst of their worship. God shows up in the midst of their praise. God shows up in the midst of their rejoicing. But they were, they were worshiping before the provisions came. They were worshiping before the... They were worshiping the who of God, not the what of their circumstances. And that, that is really, really important. And one of the practices of faith that I think... That I, that I know, let me say, let me use stronger, that I know is so valuable for, our, for us in the midst of whatever it is that chains us up is to find our blessings. Is to find our blessings. One of, one of the things that, that, that was impressed upon me years ago, and it's, it's a challenge that I try to live into when I find myself feeling the walls Closing in. When I find myself focusing, when the blinders are coming on and all I can see 
is the obstacle or the, the object of fear and anxiety starting to, to weigh. You know, those, those nights when you're laying in bed staring at the ceiling because you can't shut the brain off. I, I saw a meme going around social media the other day, some, said some, something along the lines of, you know, I didn't get much sleep last night, but I got a, good few, a few good hours of anxiety in, you know, that, that kind of a thing. And, and when I start to feel that and, and I start to worry what, what I work to do is to create the blessing lists and to begin to, to find how I have and am blessed. And that changes in our journeys. Our list changes. But for me, I, I may put things on there like, you know what, I'm healthy. In this stage of my life, I have my health. I'm thankful for that. You know what, I, I'm blessed to have a wife who that I adore. That, that absolutely adore, and yes, I'm trying to get some brownie points right now, but, but it's true. And I said this morning, I said that, that God gave her to me, and then I said, no, wait a minute, maybe God gave me to her, and I said, I don't know, and then someone said, next service, just say God, you know, gave you each other. I said, okay, that'll work. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful for that, and, and two kids who I'm, you know, who are good kids and are doing well and, and still talk to me. And, you know, that's, that, that's, that's a blessing, and, and you're a blessing, and friendships, and family. And, I mean, there's just so many things in my life where I'm blessed. And, and why? why? Why do I do that? It isn't because that obstacle and that challenge doesn't matter. It's not saying that's not significant or even frightening or fear-inducing. But it's to say that when I start to do that, I start to see a bigger picture, I start to see that I've, you know what, I've been in those places before, so have you. I've been in those moments. They've changed, and circumstances may be different, but I've been in those daunting moments. And you know what? God's been there. God's been there. And so I I say that to you not to diminish whatever it is you're standing in front of. Not to diminish whatever it is that is is stirring within you that that is causing anxiety or fear. Because they're real, and sometimes those challenges are daunting. But to say, I'll bet you can find some blessings. Maybe not in the circumstance, but in the wider picture. I'll, I'll bet you, you know, if you have friends, that's a blessing. If you have a church family that's praying for you, that's a blessing. If you have faith, that even if it's fleeting, if it's just the size of a mustard seed. Remember what Jesus says about the faith of a mustard seed. You can move mountains. It's a blessing. And we begin to see the bigger picture. I think that's how Paul and Silas were able to pray in prison. That's how Paul is able to to say in Rome, locked up, rejoice in the Lord, always rejoice, because he saw the wider picture. And that's the practice for us of of worship. And when they worshiped, and, and, and again, God showed up, and the, the earth shakes, and the chains fall off, and, and they find liberation, even though they don't immediately take it. And you're going to re- go read Acts. They stick around for the sake of the jailer who becomes a follower of Jesus because of their actions. But God liberates them. And I think that powerful story is so powerful when it's hold in, in um, tension with Philippians 4. And this is why. Because in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. And on the first day, God shakes their chains free. 
on the first day, they find deliverance. And you think, of course, that's why Paul can say rejoice, because he knows God delivers from prison, and he does. But when he writes it in Philippians 4, he's not in his first day of confinement. He's probably in his third year. He's in his third year. He'd been arrested in Jerusalem. He'd been sent to Herod's palace in Caesarea Philippi. You know why? Because they were afraid in Jerusalem the mob would kill him. For two years he's in prison there. Then he appeals to Rome as a Roman citizen. He takes a perilous journey to Rome, and now he's in prison there. So Paul knows one thing. First thing he knows, God's able to break free my chains. And then he knows the second thing, God hadn't done it. Not this time. And yet, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Because Paul wasn't focused on the wrong. He saw the right. He knew what God had done, and God does. And he knew that God works to good to all things to to love him. He knows that even in prison, he can claim the promises of faith. He knows that he worships a Savior that says, I will always be with you. He knows he worships a God who says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. He knows that he worships a God who has said, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. So, big picture. Friends, I know that's not easy. I know. And some of you are standing in front of some big mountains right now. And you just, man, you just look, how? How? And I'm not diminishing it. I'm not soft-selling that. I'm not undermining the, the difficulty that may be before you. I'm reinforcing the promise that God gives us. That when we see bigger, we see he's still there. He's still with it, and he's working. I know I said that, that, you know, some of this series has come from my own struggles with this. This is not a sermon series written out of my strength. It's written out of my own weaknesses, my own struggles with, with anxiety and, and fear and insecurity. But you know what's powerful to me is some of the things you say. Some of the comments, not, not coming up to me and saying, oh, we love the sermon. I mean, yeah, that sounds great. I certainly prefer that to the, option, the other. But when you've come up and said, you know what, I, I, I feel that way. You know, I'm, I'm facing that thing. I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I'm stressed. And, and these words in this series has connected with you. Because what it reminds me is that, that God doesn't waste a pain. God doesn't waste a struggle. God uses that. Again, not to cause it, but to redeem it. And that even in those moments that I've experienced it, God's work, so maybe part of my story can, can bless your story. Maybe part of your story blesses mine, and your story will bless someone else's. That's, that's what Paul knew. God's doing something here. I don't always know what it is, but I trust it because I see big. So my, my challenge, you know, Paul and Silas rejoiced, they prayed, they worshiped, God showed up. Here's what I know, God still shows up, still shows up. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Sometimes you just got to take the blinders off and see the wide view. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. 
Lord, help us. Just, just help us. This is, is so hard. And we all face mountains at times and, and worry and, and fear. Just help us to, to hear your voice, to remember your presence, to see how your hand has moved and your spirit has worked. Help us to, to see that wide view so that we can have trust and faith even in the midst of, of fear and anxiety. So that that trust and faith would be overpowering to the fear and anxiety we face. And just meet us where we are today. Meet us where we are and remind us of your love and your promises. This we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen.